All right, we are in Luke uh, chapter 1, verse 5. One little thing. I was looking through like the Moravian text for the rest of the year. I forgot that the way that they do um, like the division of like the reading plan is that they divide up the New Testament into two years as opposed to, I thought it was like the New Testament every year, um, which I should know. This is like my fifth year doing it or whatever. But for whatever reason, I thought it was. And so the whole of the readings for this year for the New Testament only cover through Acts. Um, so we may at some point jump to an Old Testament or, I don't know, something. Because we are now going into a gospel for the third time this year. And, I mean, we love Jesus, but there's some other stuff. And, quite frankly, the idea of having to, like, cover the same thing and come up with new content every time. And we're, about, we're in the series of Luke. We're about to re-enter that again. I don't know. These are the things I think about from time to time. I'm done. All right, Luke chapter 1, verse 5. In the time of Herod the king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah who belonged to the priestly division of Abijah. His wife Elizabeth, a lovely name, was also a descendant of Aaron. Both of them were upright in the sight of God, observing all the Lord's commandments and regulations blamelessly. But they had no children because Elizabeth was barren, and they were both well long in years. That means they're old. Once when Zechariah's division was on duty and he was serving as a priest before God, he was chosen by Lot according to the custom of the priesthood, to go into the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And when the time for the burning of incense came, all the assembled worshipers were praying outside. Then an angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing at the right side of the altar of incense. When Zechariah saw him, he was startled and was gripped with fear. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer has been heard. Your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you are to give him the name John. He will be a joy and delight to you, and many will rejoice because of his birth, for he will be great in the sight of the Lord. He is never to take wine or other fermented drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even from birth. Many of the people of Israel will he bring back to the Lord their God, and he will go on before the Lord in the spirit and the power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous to make ready a people prepared for the Lord." Zechariah asked the angel, How can I be sure of this? I am an old man, and my wife is well along in years. The angel answered, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God, and I have been sent to speak to you and to tell you this good news. And now you will be silent and not be able to speak until the day this happens, because you did not believe my words, which will come true at their proper time. Meanwhile, the people were waiting for Zechariah and wondering why he stayed so long in the temple. When he came out, he could not speak to them. They realized he had seen a vision in the temple, for he kept making signs to them, but remained unable to speak. When his time of service was completed, he returned home. After this, his wife Elizabeth became pregnant and for five months remained in seclusion. The Lord has done this for me, she said. And these days he has shown his favor and taken away my disgrace among the people. Love Luke's account of this particular one. Um, so, just a couple of, you know, like c- cultural things that are just a little fun. I think you've got like Zachariah is essentially he's a bit he's like a deacon, um, like in the Catholic Church. Um, uh, I think it's uh, deacons are not deacons. Uh, what are they called? Not the priests, but when you're essentially a priest, but you don't you're not in the priesthood. I'm completely blanking. Maybe a deacon. 
um, you, uh, you have this ability to serve. And the way that this would work in the Jewish uh, system is you have all of these people who are um, available to do certain things for the Lord in the temple. There are certain services that they would do. Um, and it was a really, really, really big deal to get to do it. It's like going backstage at like a Stones concert or something, and no one gets to do it. There are like hundreds of people, and the way that you get your name picked is your name is written on a little clay tablet. It's put in a bucket. They shake it up, and they pull out one, or they just throw it on the ground and then pick up one randomly. Um, and so it's a really big deal that Zachariah gets this. And I can't help but wonder sometimes, like if he's thinking... Like, does this happen to everyone that goes? Like, this is his first time back there, right? Um, in the same way that, like, Peter, James, and John, like, when they get the, the Mount of Transfiguration experience, like, they're watching Jesus day after day go off to be alone with his father. I can't help but wonder if they're thinking, hey, do you hang out with Moses and Elijah all the time when you're alone? Um, because this is their first time praying alone with Jesus, and suddenly Moses and Elijah show, show up. In the same way, I can't help but wonder if Zachariah is like, Hey, like, have y'all been holding out on me? You've been having, you've been meeting angels every time this happens. Um, yeah, so a couple of random thoughts that are in no way really connected to each other that just sort of stood out to me this morning. Um, number one, it's, we kind of lose sight of this because we're, we're in the New Testament. There's this division line between the Old Testament and the New Testament. There's 400 years of silence from the Old Testament to the New Testament. Like, God doesn't speak at all. Um, there is, we have, we have the last prophet who speaks on behalf of the Lord. And then this right here, what we just read, is the first time that God speaks in 400 years. Um, and one just sort of like thought from that is, there are times when, like in our life, we, it just doesn't seem like God is saying anything. And it doesn't mean that he's not working. It doesn't mean that he's not moving. But like our sense to hear what he's saying, I think for us, because we, we do live in this like new covenant, isn't like the 400-year period. But oftentimes those moments, um, which can be a chunk of time sometimes for us, um, I think it's like it's the breath right before that next word when it's going to be big. I mean, it's going to be big. Um, it is as if like God is, God is orchestrating these things in our life. He's orchestrating these pieces in our heart so that we can hear and receive this word where it's like, it's the big breath of silence that has like this undercurrent of air when the next thing that's spoken is a big one. Um, and the question is like when we are earnestly seeking God and we don't know what it is that he is saying, in many ways, it's just it's preparation for that thing that's coming. And it doesn't mean he's not moving. It just means he's preparing us. And the question is, like, when it feels like there's silence, are we preparing ourselves? Um, thought number one. Thought number two. It is interesting to me, uh, if you look at verse six, talking about Zechariah and Elijah, both of them were upright in the sight of God, observing all the Lord's commandments and regulations blamelessly. It essentially means there's 613 Levitical commands. They kept all of them, which is an accomplishment. Um, it's a really big deal. They kept all of the rules and they still missed it. 
They kept all 613 commands, and there was an angel standing in front of Zechariah, and it wasn't enough for him to accept what was standing right in front of him and what that guy was saying to him. Like, keeping the law never, never, like, like, holiness is something, we've talked about this a couple of times, um, even in our missional community, holiness is something that we are not released from. Like, staying in the law of the Lord is not something that we are released from. It is the fact that the law itself is not able to change our heart. It is not able to create in us um, the ability to see what God is doing right in front of us. Um, It is only the Spirit of God who can awaken that in us. Uh, And they kept all of it. And there is a freaking angel I mean, look at, look at what Gabriel says. Uh, where is it? Uh, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God. And I have been sent to, like, he's like, I stand in the presence of God. And I'm now standing in front of you. They kept everything blamelessly. It still wasn't enough. Um, the good news is that, actually. That these were people who were perfect in keeping the law. And they still didn't get it. Like, he still didn't get it. I am not perfect in keeping the law at all. You have been around me. You know this. The good news is that despite my inability, like I have a spirit who is, who is changing my heart. One, that I would want holiness even when parts of me don't. But two, that despite when I, I fail, there's like an ocean of grace to swim in. In the same way that there's an ocean of grace for Zachariah and Elizabeth, that's the good news of this story is that despite the fact that he missed it, God was still faithful to them in the midst of like their inability to see what, what it is that was happening. This is strangely reminiscent of like what happens with Abraham and Sarah, where like the angel comes and visits, like, hey, you're going to be pregnant, and like Sarah laughs, and they're like, come on. Like, let's pull it together now. Let's not be silly. Um, so think about that, and lastly, just, just listen to this. This is what in verse 13, I mean, like, imagine that this is said of you, like when you are in your mother's womb, or this is said of your child, um, do not be afraid, Zachariah, your prayer has been heard, your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you are to give him the name John. He will be a joy and a delight to you, and many will rejoice because of his birth, for he will be great in the sight of the Lord. He is never to take wine or other fermented drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even from birth. Verse 16, many of the people of Israel will he bring back to the Lord their God, and he will go on before the Lord in the spirit and the power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. I mean, that's a heck of a life mission. Um, And I think the thing, I mean, like, I would love that to be read over me every single night before I go to sleep. (laughs) Like, this is why I have created you. Or to, like, say that kind of stuff to my kids. Like, this is why you've been created. Um, The fact of the matter is that we can. Like, you actually have been, like, this is super specific. um, And it is, like, very, like, this is is why you exist here on this earth. Um, There is... Like you have been created for good works. 
You have been created for good works that Jesus knows what those good works, you've been set aside for them since the foundations of the creation of this world. Um, And I don't mean like find your calling and you're just going to do that thing for the rest of your life. I mean like this is actually very broad. Um, you You have been created for something. In the same way that John has this like calling on his life, I mean, like fathers, I mean, father, the hearts of the fathers will be turned to their children, the disobedient, the wisdom of the righteous to make a people ready for the Lord. I mean, this is like you have that kind of calling in your life, maybe slightly different than this, but there's a calling that is on your life. And I mean, in the same way that says John was filled with the Holy Spirit since birth, you have been filled with the Holy Spirit since your birth. It's just your spiritual birth. Like, you are not different from John. Like, John's calling is different from yours, but you're not different than John. You have the same spirit. You have a calling. The Lord is ordering your steps. And the the last thing, again, tangentially related to this, uh, I think we can miss uh, verses, uh, verse 15. So he will be great in the sight of the Lord. He's never to take wine or other fermented drink, and he'll be filled with the Holy Spirit even from birth. And then it talks about all the different stuff that he's going to do. Um, yeah, I don't, I don't, we don't have lots of stuff on John and like what he was, his thought process was and this, that, and the other. We do know that he lived into this. We do know he's a bit crazy. He's a, he's a voice crying out in the wilderness, literally crying out in the wilderness. And he's, he wears camel's hair and he eats locusts and wild honey and all kinds of disgusting things. Uh, and he's a very strange person. Um, he, what he essentially gives up are all of the things um, that for many people in this culture would bring them great joy. Um, he, is, he is in some ways like isolated from like the joyous festivals and rituals that, they, that would be associated um, with Jewish culture, all of the things that like they really enjoy, he is he's kind of removed from, um, and I think we can miss that a bit. And the question is like, is the trade off worth it? Like, is it actually is the is the trade off um, of John feeling a very specific call not to engage with these things that all these other people are, which aren't necessarily bad? Is it worth it to live into his call? And I, I think hopefully the answer is yes. Um, and again, I don't think we're dissimilar from John. Like there are things, um, some of those things are seasonal where the Lord is asking you to abstain from things. So we just went through a fast. Was the trade-off worth it? Like was the trade-off of like, I'm going to sacrifice this thing, a good thing for a better thing. Um, was it worth it? There, there are things that like you have full access to as Christians. So Paul talks about, Look, you, everything is permissible, but not everything is beneficial. And so are there things that you are called to sacrifice? And like you'll be called to sacrifice those things for the whole of your life. I don't know what those things are necessarily. Um, but you will get something better. And I think sometimes we miss that. We miss that like the sacrifice is actually a trade-off. Like it's not a sacrifice for the sake of like saying that we sacrifice something. It's a sacrifice so that we have more of Jesus, so that we have the capacity to live into the calling that, that someone like John has, and we see over and over and over again. I think that's, it's just really worth, I was thinking about that this weekend during the retreat, it's worth underlining um, 
that our experience when we, when we do things like fasting or when we choose to sacrifice things is it's not this woe is me thing. Like, woe is me, I can't have caffeine. I mean, like, yeah, we joke about, or at least I joke about, like, I really want caffeine. And quite frankly, I'm happy to be back on it. Um, in moderation, of course. <laughs> Seriously. Um, but, like, there was a trade-off. Um, and the trade-off was better. Like, the, like, it was worth having more of Jesus and more of his power and his presence because I was sacrificing something and living into what we sense God was saying. Um, and a lot of times I think we paint the, the picture of a disciple as one who is just so somber and like, I have given up so much for the holiness of the Lord. Um, and y- you have, but like, why aren't we talking about what you get? Because what Jesus says over and over and over again is it's worth it, it's better. And the trade-off, like, it's gonna, like, not only do you get eternal life, which pretty good, but you get, you get a better life right now. Now it's a better life by kingdom perspective, but it's really, 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 really good. It's really good. And if we don't believe that, um, yeah, you, you're just going to have a sad Christian life. It's just going to be sad. Uh, and you will always feel like you're missing out on something, even on like good things that aren't sinful things. You're just going to feel like you're missing out if you, because the Christian life is something is one of sacrifice, but sacrifice so that you get something back. God will always give you more than you're giving up, always. And sometimes I just think we miss that. We miss that like little thing in verse 15. He's giving up all this stuff, but look what he gets to live into. It's pretty amazing. All right. Random, somewhat disconnected thoughts for the day. Good sermon.